Lord, we come before you and ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask for your spirit to give us leading and guidance as we examine this wonderful book. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 19, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. And you shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. And Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin and her flesh and her blood with her dung shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the, of the burning of the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and he shall bathe in fresh water. Afterward he shall come into the camp and the priest shall be unclean until evening. He that burns her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until evening. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up before the camp in a clean place and it shall be for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of separation, for it is the purification for sin. He that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and shall be unclean until evening. And it shall be unto the children of Israel and unto the stranger that sojourns among them for a statute forever. Okay, so we're going to look at the red heifer. There are many people who make a great big deal about the red heifer. And it is kind of an interesting story because the red heifer... There has only been nine of them in all of history that qualify for this offering that the, Jew, that the Jews have identified. So this is a very unique creature. It has to be a cow that's red in color. And if it has more than one hair that's not red, it dis it's disqualified. I thought they said three. Uh, well, there's nothing here that says what it is. Okay. But when I'm looking it up, they go two or, two or more it's disqualified as what oh, okay. I read. So, and it can't have any blemishes, not even just the hair, no blemishes. It can't have any broken bones. It can't have ever have been used to, to carry anything or been yoked. So the Jews are always on the lookout for the red heifer because the red heifer's water is used for purification. And it is needed to purify the next temple. So they're, they're looking for it. They're constantly looking for one. And so they'll have this red, red heifer that they can burn and, and have the ashes for. So that's the importance of it. Only nine in history. They're looking for another one. There's a prophecy that the Messiah will be the next one to, to uh, burn this heifer, which fits into end times, could be in the Antichrist, <laughs> to burn this thing and then uh, offering to cleanse the temple with it. So this is a big deal for the Jews. So it says in verse 2, This is the ordinance of the law that the Lord commanded you, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, that they bring you a red heifer without spot, where no blemish and no yoke, which we've talked a little bit about that, because this, this is something they've looked for. And like I say, I was amazed by red. As far as the Jews are concerned, nine of these have been found. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, uh, actually about eight years ago, they had one, they had a red heifer in America that qualified, and I don't know why it got disqualified, because otherwise they'd have burnt it and made a big deal out of it. So it probably got hurt. Or cut mm -hmm. and, and ended up disqualified 
but they're looking for this particular animal. But they're, but they're looking for this red heifer, and I'm not up, on, not up enough on zoology of cows to know why a red cow is that, that hard to find. And it says, and you shall give her to Eliezer the priest. Now, who is Eliezer? Does anybody remember? Yeah, one Aaron's, Aaron's son. He's the next in line to be high priest when Aaron passes away. So Eliezer is given this animal. He's to take it outside the camp, and there somebody will slay it before his eyes. Now, outside the camp is very important because this is a picture of the red heifer, is a picture of Jesus who purifies from sin. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus was crucified outside the camp. They went up into the hill. Up to, the, up to Mount Moriah, and, and he was killed outside of the, the camp, per, per se. He was still in Israel, but outside the camp. And so this animal is going to be killed, and Eliezer is going to take the blood and sprinkle the blood seven times before the tabernacle. And what does seven mean? Does anybody remember what seven means? Perfection. Huh? Perfection. Perfection or completion, yes. So it's a complete sacrifice, and it's done before the tabernacle, which represents the presence of God. So it is that complete sacrifice that makes God accept people. And then they shall burn the heifer in his sight. And this is kind of interesting, because what happens normally on a burnt offering? You burn it all. All except? The hide. The hide, which went to the priest. In this particular sacrifice, everything is burnt. And they're very specific. The skin, the flesh, the blood, every, except for the blood they sprinkled in front of the tabernacle, and the dung. In other words, they're just taking the whole animal and burning it. Verse 6, And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. So they're adding a whole bunch of different woods. Cedar wood uh, and the hyssop. And the hyssop was that kind of a branchy thing that they used to uh, splatter the oil on, the, the blood on with the... When they, on the Passover, they used the hyssop and the blood and used it to, so it's very fully, full of leaves and, and contains it. And then scarlet. And this is kind of interesting because it doesn't really tell us what the scarlet is. It doesn't tell us whether it's scarlet dye or, or what exactly scarlet represents, other than we know that scarlet is used for the blood of Christ. So what is uh, your saline on verse 6? Verse 6, it says, And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet stuff. Scarlet stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they have in parentheses. Okay, whatever's red, just throw it in the fire. <laughs> I don't know. All right, scarlet stuff. <laughs> they're, they're burning this, and they're adding fuel to, the, to, this, to this, and it's cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet stuff. Verse 7, Then the priest shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in water, Afterward, he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until evening. And what does water represent in the scriptures usually? Cleansing by what? The word of God. Just want to keep that in mind. When you're reading through this, when he's talking about washing with water, this is why, if you remember, we talked about the brazen labor of water. When the priest would mm -hmm. get done with the altar, they would come in and they'd wash their hands and just to purify their walk. The same idea, the water represents the, the word of God. We cleanse our ways through the word of God. Psalm 119, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to your, to your, to your commands. So the word cleanses us. We're cleansed by the washing of the regeneration of the word. So here, the, here he's washing, and the idea is to be cleansing 
from the from the sacrifice that he's done that he's gotten dirty with this sacrifice and he's to cleanse his walk and this is why we emphasize getting into the word of god like we do because when we get into the word of god we're cleansing our walk we're helping to light illuminate our path we're washing our mind of the dirt and the filth of the world putting in god's thoughts into our mind and it's very important that we keep his word central very important because it's so easy and we've talked about this many times how the world and satan has a whole lot of lies for us and how easy for us to believe those lies and we've got to be careful about that it's important to get his word and get the change of his word because satan wants us to believe lies he wants us to believe that somehow we have to earn our salvation somehow we have to do good works to please god somehow if we're not doing everything perfect god's going to reject us he wants to keep coming at us with these things just as he did right from the very beginning when he tempted eve did god say and unfortunately she added to what god said maybe Ab maybe adam had told her wrong you know added when he told her we don't know but remember he said you know did did god say that you could eat of the fruit of the trees we can eat of all the trees except for the gar tree in the center and we can't touch it okay god did not say they couldn't touch it now why you'd want to touch it if you weren't going to eat it is another story altogether but god never said they couldn't touch it but it was added to whether adam did it to try to keep her as far away from the tree or if she just made it up on her own we don't know the answer to that uh, knowing the penchant of the the hebrew people the jewish people to make big walls around the around the uh, rules i don't doubt that adam was probably the first one to do that oh eve by the way we can't eat of that tree and don't you even touch it <laughs> i can picture him saying that because it's you know you know let's make sure she doesn't you know we're we're, we're going to stay as far away from it as possible and so but even with this idea of the red heifer the Jews have added a huge amount of rules about it. All it says here is that it's got to be without a blemish. And they've defined what a blemish means. <laughs> and I don't know if that came all the way back from, from this time on documents that we don't know or if it's part of the rules and, and everything that they have. Because the Jews have added lots of rules. That God says to keep the Sabbath and then the Jews have a whole book on what it means to keep the Sabbath. And I mean a whole book on uh, virtually a whole book on just keeping the Sabbath and what you can and can't do uh, as far as opening cabinets or not opening cabinets opening a container or not opening a cabinet you know uh, lots of things that they've added to that say these this is how you break the Sabbath much beyond what God did and that's why Jesus when he was walking the earth he he purposely did things that violated their rules but didn't violate the scripture well how'd they open the refrigerator you wouldn't i could imagine them tying a leash the night before to the refrigerator door and attaching the dog and saying you probably wouldn't because you're not allowed to light a stove either or an oven you, pre you prepped you prepped your, you prepped your food the night before before the sundown and you and that's if you wanted hot food that's what you crock pots that's what i know they, they love crock pots they didn't even have electricity anyway so you know. no because then they would just have to simmer low simmer over a fire or eat cold food but this is what's going on on this they're adding all kinds of rules 
And here they have the person, Eliezer, coming in and washing himself to purify himself. And he's unclean until evening. So he won't be able to do anything more than burn the red heifer that day. And he can't work in the tabernacle at that because you're not able to go into the tabernacle if you're unclean. And it says, uh, verse 8, And he, shall, he that burns her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until evening. So the other individual, most likely a Levite, because the Levites helped the priest, and he shall be unclean as well. Then there's a third person, and a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them without the camp in a clean place, and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of separation. It is a purification for sin. So they're going to be taking these, they're putting these ashes, and I don't know what fun that would be to gather up all these ashes. It wouldn't be at all. Putting them in some kind of container that's kept outside the camp, and they're going to go and take ashes and put it in water. And they're going to use the water for the rest of this chapter to, clean, to cleanse people. So this is a very special water that they're going to have, and it's going to be used to purify. We want to look quick, quick at Hebrews chapter 9, and you all don't have to go there if you don't want to. Hebrews 9, we'll start at uh, verse 11. But Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, made, not made of hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once, in, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. This first sacrifice is that sacrifice that gets him inside the veil, okay, the holy of holies, the, the, the once a year sin offering for the people where, that the priest had to go into the holy of holies and sprinkle on the mercy seat. And then verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkled for the unclean sanctified unto the purifying of his flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So verse 13, the ashes of a heifer. Okay, Jesus completed that one also. I just wanted to point this out to you that this was in the New Testament. The reference to this, that Jesus fulfilled the red heifer's sacrifice. All right. And then there's numerous ones in, Je in uh, Jeremiah and, and Zechariah that refer back to the red heifer. So I just want you to keep in mind, when you see scriptures that talk about the heifer and the ashes, or even the ashes for, for cleansing, remember Numbers 19. All right? And uh, you'll see, you'll be able to remember back and say, oh yeah, that's that special... That's that special cow that's red with no, no blemishes that there haven't been very many of that had to be used for purification for sin. Verse 10, And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes, and he shall be unclean until evening, and shall be unto the children of Israel and to the stranger that sojourns among them a statute forever. So these ashes were needed for the worship of God by the Jewish system. Verse 11, He that touches a dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with it on the third day, and on the seventh he shall be clean. But if he purifies not himself on the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. 
Whosoever touches the dead body of any man that is dead and purifies him not himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from the children of Israel because the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him. And he shall be unclean. His, un his uncleanness is yet upon him. This is the law when a man dies in a tent, when it comes into the tent, and all that is in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every ves open vessel which has no covering bound upon it is unclean, and whosoever touches one that is slain by a sword in the open field, or a dead body, or a bone of a man, or a grave, shall be unclean seven days. For an unclean person they shall take of the ashes of the burnt heifer of purification for sin, and running water shall be put into a vessel, and a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it upon the tent and upon all the vessels and upon the person that were there and upon him that touched a bone or of one slain or dead or a grave. Okay, we're going to stop there at 18 to kind of look at this. These are a bunch of the different rules for somebody which is a dead person. God is keeping this separate because in most of these generations, they didn't touch a dead person, but the reason they didn't touch a dead person in, in most of the places where they were afraid of the dead. Okay, they were afraid of ghosts. They were afraid of reanimated bodies or zombies, as we would call them. There was a great fear of death in the, in the rest of the world. Here God's saying, don't touch them because it'll make them unclean. Not out of fear of the dead. And we still even have that today. A lot of people are afraid of cemeteries, <laughs> mortuaries, dead bodies. It, when I worked in the hospital, when I was in Bible college, it was very interesting if somebody died and we, and we had to carry the body down to the morgue, there was a very different presence in the ho whole hospital, especially the floor where the person died. There was a whole pall over the whole hospital when somebody would pass away. You know, intriguing to me that this happened, but I also have met people who won't go into a cemetery or afraid, you know, especially at night, they're afraid of a cemetery. And there's this fear, fear of death. I think because death reminds us of our mortality, a lot of people fear it. But here we are, you know, with these rules for, for touching death. Now we know in our day with science that touching dead bodies is probably not the best thing to be doing if you're not being careful, especially if they've been dead any length of time or age, there's probably some sickness with them, yeah. which you don't want to be contacting and catching. And so these are some rules that protected the Jews from disease and we're going to see this because they, they followed these rules and they followed these various health rules and during the Middle Ages when the Black Plague was running rampant across the Europe most Jews did not get sick because they followed God's rules they left their they left their food containers sealed tight so that the especially rats didn't get into the food and water and, and leave the the, the mites that caused the Black Plague, they washed their hands, they used running water, just as it talks about here. And so they did not get sick. Consequently, they were accused of being the cause of the plague. <laughs> so even though they didn't get sick from the plague, many of them got killed because they were accused of being witches and warlocks and causing the plague <laughs> because they followed God's laws that kept them pure. So. It was kind of an interesting mix between the two. <laughs> get protected from the, play, the disease, but, but get killed because you're accused of causing it. But so verse 11, He that touches a dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days, and he shall purify himself on the third day, and, and 
On the seventh day he shall be clean, but if he purifies not himself on the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. References kind of almost to Jesus dying, dying and purifying and, and having victory over sin on the third day. But on the third day, they were to take this, they were to go to where the ashes were, get some water mixed in with it, and, and wash with that water. And this, wa and this is called the water of separation or purification in some, in some versions. It is, it is the water that cleanses the sin that, that is out there. And we see the blood covers, the water is to cleanse it. And then it's going to be future when God says... the. The word cleanses us. The word cleanses us. If they don't cleanse themselves on the third day, they are going to be unclean. Suppose they wash themselves and clean themselves right after they touch them. They better do it on the third day with the water of the separation. Okay. <laughs> they can wash themselves all they want before and afterwards, but on that third day, they better be using the water of separation with the ashes in it. Because <laughs> if he doesn't, he shall be unclean. And whosoever touches the dead, the dead body of any man that is dead and purifies himself not, defiles the tabernacle, and that soul shall be cut off from Israel, because the water of separation was not used to sprinkle, was not sprinkled upon him. He shall be unclean, and his uncleanness is yet upon him. The only way to be accepted by God is to be cleansed by. Jesus, okay? Well, he sacrificed his life, his blood covers our sins, and then he indwells us and he washes us with the water of regeneration, and we are made clean. And this, this cleanliness is very interesting because without it, you're, you're, you're cut off from God's people. With it, you remember. And this is something that is critical. Even back in this day, if you rejected and didn't follow the way you were supposed to do it, you were cut off, which meant you couldn't go into the tabernacle. You were kicked out of the congregation. You were kicked out of the camp because you were unclean. All right? Now, the group that we normally associated with being kicked out of the camp is which group? The lepers. The lepers. Yeah. If these people do not cleanse themselves, they're treated almost as bad as lepers. Now, they're not contagious or anything like that, but they were kicked out and considered unclean. And they were not allowed to come back in. Huh? Well, in this case, it's just because they didn't follow God's rules. Very important for us as we walk. To get to heaven, we have to accept Jesus Christ. From that point on, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and God and the Son, and, we, and He should pour out of us in our day-to-day -day walk. And this is where James was talking about when he said, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Okay? There should be works associated with salvation. Not me generating them, because if I generate them, they're, they're, they're nothing but worthless Stinking wood, rags, wood, wood, hay, and stubble, rags. It's God pouring out of me that does these works. And it, this is why I say over and over, Christianity is the easiest thing to walk in because all you do is you let your flesh get crucified and you let God pour out of you. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that it's easy, it's also probably the hardest thing there is to do because you've got to get yourself out of the way. And most of us don't like to let ourselves get out of the way. 
And I know this because I've talked to so many people and they go, well, how do I do that? You let God crucify you. And it is God who does it. It says, for I am crucified. Not I crucify myself, but I am crucified. Who does it? God does it. He crucifies our flesh and then he pours out of us. So mostly it's surrendering to him. Now, surrendering is not the easiest thing to do because the flesh does not like to surrender. We, we like to have, and, you, and when you're witnessing to people, you hear it over and over. You know, all you got to do is accept, you know, admit that you're a sinner, that you deserve punishment, and Jesus Christ died for your punish, punishment, accept him. And inevitably you will hear, it can't be that easy. If they're not ready to hear the gospel, you'll hear it can't be that easy. And what are they really saying? Is, I've got to do something. <laughs> what is there for me to do in all of this? You've got to accept them. <laughs> yeah. Surrender, accept them and surrender. surrender. <laughs> like tithe. Huh? And tithe and all No, 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 no. no. Nope, no, that's works. works. We will do that as God works out of us. We will be more truthful as God works out of us. We will be more loving as God works out of us. And use his, his, uh, but it's not me who does that. And use his uh, plan of tithing and, and well, giving him time. But again, it's because he does it. I choose to allow him to do it and he, wow. does, the, he does it through me. Allow him to do it. Because if I'm doing it, it's works and there's no reward, there's no reward for it. <laughs> Surrender and don't resist. Surrender and let him do it. And it is hard for the flesh to give up. Because I like to resist. We all like to resist. We all like to resist. No matter how long we've been walking with God, our desire is to resist. What can I do to be part of this? What can I do? And we see it a lot of times. Pastors are big for it too. You know, Look at the church I have built. Look at all the people that I've touched. And it's very careful. You have to be very careful to say... God is using me and mean it not just say it but mean God is using me and this is why it's so important this washing following God's rules you're unclean you washed and then if you didn't you're rejected not doing things God's way and this is why when we stand before Jesus he's going to show us all the things we let him do through us I do believe he's going to show us all the things we could have, that he could have done through us if we had let him. Because it's not going to be an easy time. It is a Bema seat judgment. He's going to throw everything we've done and it's going to, into the fire and see what survives. But I also believe because he's the only one that can do it, he's going to show us what we could have had. Because if you had been more obedient, more, 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 more sacrificed, here's what I could have done through you. And, but he's looking for... What can he reward us for? Remember I told you about that. He's not looking at what he can take away from us. He's looking for, where's those gems? Where's, where's all that stuff that I can give them reward for? He's, he's the perfect Lord, Master, Father. He's looking for how he can reward us. And those rewards are free for eternity. It's not wood, hay, and stubble that burns up. It's not golden. It's not iron and rust that, you know, things that rust that, that we put on this earth. It's the stuff we put into heaven. And God is asking us, put, what's, put your life on, on display and get what's in, on heaven. This is why we're to deal mostly, start dealing with people. How are we loving people? How are we building people up? Because the only thing that's going to go to heaven with us is what's done for people. 
What is done in the spirit? Doesn't matter what I what I gather up, how much money I gather up, how much how many people like me, you know. You know, when if, if when I when I die, there's hundred thousand people at my funeral. It's not going to matter to God if it's not done through Christ. And most people are sitting there. How many? How much good can I do? How many nice things can I do? How many people will like me? And that's not what God is after. Now, does that mean we're trying not to have people like us? No, it's it's wonderful to have people like us. But God, Jesus said. They hated me, they're going to hate you. Mm-hmm. The world is going to hate us as a Christian because we represent God. We bring God's presence into a situation. We don't, we don't laugh at the same jokes that they, they, they laugh at. We don't read the same books that they read. We don't like the same pictures and movies that they're, that they're enjoying. Because our spirit is saying, no, I want whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report. Think on those. And this is why it's critical for us as Christians to let God live through us. And hopefully you've been in a situation where you find where people are talking about something and they're laughing their heads off and you're going, there's nothing funny about that. Because your spirit just says, it's so much against God's word, I can't, I can't even find any, any humor in it. I shared the movie the other day that I, I turned on a movie and I watched like five minutes of it and go, we can't watch this. It's too, the family is too much of, you know, too much out there against God's word. And so what do we do? Are we really applying God's word? And people will say, you know, well, especially if they go to a movie and you spent uh, however much a movie costs these days. No, that's here in Kingman. We have cheap. We have cheap. Yeah, in a lot of places, you're paying twenty or thirty dollars to go see a movie, and people go to a movie and they find out it's not what they want, and it's hard for them to get up and walk out because they spent so much money on the movie, and yet they should, because that's part of their witness. Is <laughs> this movie wasn't watch? Wasn't worth watching, and they should get up and walk away and ask for their money back. Yeah, I don't know about asking for your money back. You should have done some research before you went to the movie. Because uh, there's plenty of sites that'll tell you what the movie's about. But uh, these people, if they did not do what God said, they were cut off from, the, from, the, from Israel. They were kicked out of the camp. Verse 14, this is the law. When a man dies in a tent, all that come in to the tent and all that is in the tent shall be unclean seven days. Now some of this stuff should sound very familiar from when we studied Leviticus. Okay. The only thing being added now is the water, the purification that wasn't mentioned in Leviticus, but they did talk about washing. They just didn't use the use this red heifer language in it. Um, so if they walk into a tent where somebody is dead, everybody that walks in is unclean, and everything in the tent is unclean for seven days until it's been washed. And every open vessel that has no covering on it, upon it is unclean. And those ones would be thrown out and destroyed. And whosoever touches one that is slain with a sword in the open fields or a dead body or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. So here are some of the more inadvertent ones necessary, possibly. Uh, if you go out and you're in battle and somebody is slain, they're unclean. And just because they're dead. 
If you go in and you find a, body, a dead body, you just happen to find one out in the open field, you'll be unclean if you touch it. This is kind of it, or a bone of a person. Just touching the bone of an individual makes you unclean. If you go to the grave, you're unclean. So this takes us, when Jesus died and the women waited until after the Sabbath day was over so they could go, and what, what ends up happening is in most of Christianity, they teach that Jesus died on Friday because it says the Sabbath was the next day. Well, Passover is a Sabbath, so I do believe that Jesus died on Wednesday, was in the grave for three days. He would have been in the grave on Thursday. They would not have gone to the grave on Friday for what reason? Sabbath, night of the Sabbath. It's the day before the Sabbath, and what would happen if they went to the grave? No, they wouldn't be able to go. They would be unclean and couldn't participate in Sabbath, which is why they waited until... Which would be Friday night. Right. Which is why they waited until Sunday to go and, and take care of the body. All right? So all of this comes back down to the law. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he's dead and in the grave. Three days, just like he said he would be, three days. Because when they say Friday, they have to do some real crazy gymnastics to say that he was there for three days. They go, well, he was there for about an hour on Friday, the full day on Saturday. And then came up and resurrected on Sunday. See, three days. Well, now he said it was going to be the sign of Jonah, three days and three nights. So you can't be a Friday night. But again, because people didn't understand the Old Testament and know that Passover is a Sabbath, it meant that in the mindset of the early, well, not the early, because the early church fathers understood Judaism, especially the middle-aged you know, Christians, they go Sabbath to Saturday, therefore he died on Friday. And... Uh, so just to help you out, and then if you want to believe Friday, I'm not going to argue with you. You can believe Friday because I'm not going to argue. I'm, there's a lot of scholars out there. I'm never going to convince that, it, that he didn't die on Friday. But I'm just not going to accept Friday. I never have. I never will. It's not worth arguing. It's not worth arguing about, but it is a point that is interesting, uh, interesting to make. That's interesting. But it also shows that when we don't understand what we're reading, it, we can make up some very interesting, interesting rules about, you know, statements about things which is why we need people to teach us and be able to fit through. And the Holy Spirit will teach us these things. I mean, if you want to learn from the Holy Spirit, that's fine. But you're going to learn a whole lot faster by getting into, into Bible studies and in a church. And then the other thing, and it's good for everybody in this group, is find a church to be committed to a church. And for my lifetime, the only reason I pretty much left churches is because I've moved. <laughs> All right. And so my encouragement for people is once you find a church, stay there. Unless the pastor or the teacher is teaching bad doctrine and not teaching biblical truth, stay there and learn from that person because it's important to learn the entirety of the scripture. What a lot of people will do is they'll, they'll stick around a church for about three or four years. They'll hear something they don't dis, that, they, that stepped on their toes. The pastor stepped on their toes and it's like it's time to go find another church. And they'll move church. And there's people, literally, there are people that change churches every three to five years because their toes got stepped on. You know, not because the pastor's teaching bad doctrine. Not because it's even a bad church. It's just their toes got stepped on. Their feelings got hurt. Well, I can guarantee if you stay in this church long enough and I preach through the whole Bible, which I'm trying to do, somewhere along the lines, I'm going to step on people's toes because the Spirit put things in there because I step on my own toes a lot. 
So if I'm stepping on my own toes, I know I'm stepping on other people's toes. We all step on our own toes. <laughs> but God's word is going to correct. And that's what it's for. All scripture is given by inspiration is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction. It is going to hurt at times to listen to God's word. You're going to be doing something and all of a sudden you're going to be here the scripture that says that you're not supposed to be doing it. It's going to be something that you like and you're going to have to decide, am I going to obey the scriptures and go forward with God or am I going to stand against it? And it's going to happen all the time. And the key to this is, is when your toes are stepped on, go to God and say, God, help me. Help me sacrifice and be crucified in this area. And this is one of the reasons I encourage reading through the Bible because if you read through the Bible every, you know, each day you're going to find things that step on your toes that God tells you directly. And the Spirit will minister to you. And it's going to be very good work. But we find a church, we stay there. Very important. Stay there. Learn the whole gospel. Because one of the things I learned when I was going through school, my dad was in the Navy, so I transferred schools all the time. And it's very interesting because in one school you're teaching fractions in one grade and multiplication in another grade and, and decimals in another grade. Well, if you move schools, not every school teaches the same thing in the same orders. So you can miss it. And the same principle, when you move around in churches a lot, you may not hear certain things you need to hear from God because you dealt with it with this pastor and his church over here and then you... You moved, you moved out of your church, was getting ready to go into it the next year, and you're, you're gone to the church that's already covered it, and you get gaps in the learning of the Word of God. And so just, a, just an encouragement. Everybody here has been very good about staying and being in the same church longer than I have been here. So, But the, just an encouragement. Just an encouragement on that one. I have no choice. <laughs> And whosoever touches one, in the, uh, one that is slain by the sword in an open field or a dead body or a bone shall be unclean seven days. And for an unclean person they shall take the ashes of the burnt heifer of purification of, for sin and running water shall be put in there into a, in a vessel. And a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it upon in the water and sprinkle it upon the tent and upon the vessels and upon the person that was in there and upon him that touched the bone or one that was slain or dead or in, of the grave. So we see here running water. Very important, running water. And this again talks about God's word. God's word is to be fresh to us every day. If you were to try to live, you know, God tells you something and you tried to live on that one truth that he gave you seven years ago, you're going to have a very shallow Christian walk. Okay? He wants running water, pure water. What happens when water stands in one place any length of time? Stagnates. Stagnates. It grows, grows molds and algaes and any, any numbers of other things. It, so the running water, fresh, pure, almost living water. You can almost consider it living water, the bubbling brook and all of that. This running water. And it says a clean person takes the hyssop. And again, that hyssop is that big branch with... Uh, a lot of leaves on it that holds on to liquids fairly easy. And they're to stick that in the water that they did and start sprinkling it all over everything and everybody. They're liberally applying this water, <laughs> sprinkling it on the tent, all the vessels, and upon the person, the people that were there, and the one that touched him. 
Verse 19, and the clean person shall sprinkle the, upon the unclean on the third day, and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day shall purify himself, and wash his clothes, and bathe himself, and shall be clean at evening. So the clean person was to sprinkle the third day and the seventh, and on the seventh day he also will purify himself. All right? And shall wash his clothes and, and bathe himself in water and shall be clean at evening. So that person will then be unclean because he, remember, he, why is he not unclean until evening? Because he hasn't touched anything. He's just sprinkled them with the hyssop and the water. And he's done it the third day and it says on the seventh day. Which it all indicated that the seventh day also was a washing, but this one very specifically said third and seventh. And so he's going to be clean at the evening after he's washed himself. And the people that have been sprinkled will be clean on the seventh day. But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from among the congregation because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of separation has not been sprinkled upon him. He is unclean. And we look at the language of it. But the man that shall be unclean. Okay, this is a person, basically this person is deciding to be unclean. Because all he's got to do is go find somebody to sprinkle him with the water. So unless he was absolutely hated by every single person in the camp, he's going to find somebody who's going to sprinkle him with this water. And if nothing else, he goes to a Levite and say, hey, you know, sprinkle me with this water. And that's the job of the priest and the Levite, to help out the poor. So this is a conscious choice. And this word but, you know, when you see the but, something is changing. It's a conscious choice for somebody to remain unclean. Not, it's not something that's done by accident. You know, he didn't get so busy that on the third day he forgot. At least he better not because this was important enough that he was to remember. Uh, but again, if he was so busy that he forgot, what does that really show? How little he cares about God's rules. All right? And this is very important for us. Do we get so busy that we forget God's rules that he tells us to do and allowing him to get into us? How often do we do that? It's so, so easy. So easy to, to not get into prayer someday. Not, so easy not to get into God's word and get busy and forget about his word. And it's so important that we stay and don't allow ourselves to be unclean by decision. And at least for us, there's the, we come back to Christ, we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. But there's choices there's choices that we make. Are we going to follow God? And we've been talking a lot about this from the Ephesians on Sunday mornings, that God wants us to live a life where he lives out of us, where we are examples to people. And it is very sad when you hear somebody say, well, if that person's a Christian, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. And there's two questions in that, in that statement. Number one, is that person a Christian who's saying they are a Christian? But the sad thing is that the testimony they have is one that makes people reject Christ rather than turn to him. And very important, does our life show people that we are different, that we are Christians, that we are different from the rest of the world? Too many people feel sorry for themselves. Well, they feel sorry for themselves. They, many, people, they have, many people who claim to be Christians aren't. My, my favorite question when somebody says they're a Christian is, what does that mean to you? Okay, what does that mean to be Christian? And I've heard some really strange, strange answers over the years. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, you used to hear a lot, well, I'm an American, so therefore I'm a Christian. 
I haven't heard that one too much lately. Okay, but there are a lot of countries where you go someplace and you say, well, what religion are you? Well, I'm, I'm Arab, so I'm Muslim. Okay, uh, I'm Indian, so I'm Hindu. Okay, it, it pretty much is by nationality what, what they answer. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, my mom and dad went to church all the time. They drug me to church, and so I'm a Christian. No, that's not a Christian. Uh, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I try to do good things. Nope, that's not what it means to be a Christian. Okay, so when you're witnessing to somebody and they say they're a Christian, your next question should be, what does that mean to you? Or simply, how do you, get, how do you think you get to heaven? And Amy's used that with her mom on occasions, you know, trying to help her. Uh, and this is important. How do you get to heaven? Well, and you can start out with, you know, what do you believe will happen to you when you die? And you might get a question, well, I'll answer, well, I hope I go to heaven. You know, well, and you can go through, you know, what does it mean? How do you think you get to heaven? If they, if they rejected the sprinkling, and again, it's the idea of how simple this was to be cleansed. All you had to do was show up and have somebody sprinkle the washing of the water, the, the water of the purification on you. Not hard. This is what God has always been doing. To follow him has not really been that hard a thing to do. Even for the Jews, all they had to do was bring their sacrifices in and then the priests killed them and they were, and they were covered for, for, for it. They, when they touched a dead body, they just had to be purified with the water sprinkled on them. And if you didn't want to do these simple things that had nothing to do with you in reality, think about this. When you brought your sacrifice, when you got sprinkled with water, how much were you really doing in all of this? Not much. You were just obeying God and doing what you were told to do. Because you didn't do anything. You took the animal in and the priest killed it. You turned to somebody and they sprinkled you, they washed you with this water. Does that sound very familiar to what Jesus does for us today? He is the gift and all we have to do is surrender to how simple it is. And I can picture some people saying, well, I can wash myself in this water. Why do I need to have somebody sprinkle me with this, this water? I can just use any water. Haman did that. He had the leprosy from it. He went to see Elijah and he says, well, go to the water, go to the river Jordan and wash yourself seven times and you'll be pure. And his answer was, I'm not going to wash myself in this dirty water. The water back home, the river back home is better. And he had to be reminded, he goes, well, if he'd asked you to go to, on some great quest, would you have done it? Well, sure. Then he goes, what's so hard about bathing seven times in the water? God oftentimes asks us to do something so simple that we start looking and saying, it's too simple, I'm not going to do it. God may ask us to talk to somebody, and we go, no, it's too simple, I can't talk to that person. I don't know enough, I, don't, I can't do it. I just, all he's asking is to talk to them. doesn't ask you to be a brilliant uh, theologian just talk to him tell him your story about God amazing when we tell people about our story this is how I got saved this is how I found, learned that I was a sinner and since I've been saved this is what God's done for me all of us have a story and the one thing about our story is nobody can tell you that it's wrong <laughs> okay if I'm telling somebody else's story from the Bible or a biography I can be told I'm telling it wrong because it's not my story but my story is my story. I lived it. <laughs> and you can't tell me that I don't know my story. So sharing the gospel is a real simple. Tell your story about how you got saved. 
How was it that you came to church? How was it that you came, were told the gospel? What did they tell you that really convinced you that you were a sinner in need of punishment and that Jesus was the answer? And share it. Share it over and over again. And tell people about it. And use it. And then you learn the scriptures about how all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But God commended his love toward us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then all we've got to do is call upon him. Real simple. To give the gospel. Verse 21. And it shall be a perpetual statute unto them that he that sprinkleth the water of separation shall wash his clothes, and he that touched the water of separation shall be unclean for until evening. So the person that helps to sprinkle them is unclean because they've been involved. And that's perpetual. It was to go on. And whosoever and whatsoever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the soul that touches it shall be unclean till evening. This is very important for us. The whole idea of touching something that's unclean. We do it all the time when we're walking in the world. We come in contact with the unclean, the dead. The, because most of the world is dead. Dead in sin. We need to learn to be able to purify, get back into God's Word, study, cleanse our minds, cleanse our attitudes, because we're brushing up against death, spiritual death, all the time. All the time we're, we're around it, we're, we're exposed to it, sometimes more than more depending on what we're doing and how we're being exposed to it. But God is saying, cleanse. Cleanse our path, cleanse our minds, cleanse our thoughts and live in the life of Jesus. We're going to go ahead and close. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to study. We ask that you go with us as we, as we go about our day. Help us to keep our hearts and our minds cleansed. Help us to share the gospel with people. Sprinkle the water of regeneration on all the, the dead people that we come around so that they can be, be exposed to the gospel and perhaps even accept you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.